Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, Tom Harbin here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. It's supported by advertising, so after this brief message, we'll get right into it. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Gratitude matters. If we express it, it doesn't only matter for the person who receives it. It matters for us. It makes us happier. It makes us more thoughtful. It registers in our biology. It improves sleep. It improves health. It can make you as happy as winning the lottery. And the happiness can sustain if you build a habit of expressing gratitude. I don't know about you, but I get grumpy. I get grumpy. Sometimes crestfallen, sometimes almost hopeless. I look at the state of wealth disparities, look at the state of the climate. I see koalas dying in Australia, and it makes me weep. I look at the state of our democracy and I wonder if we have hope. I wonder what we're going to do about it. It makes me just want to, I don't know, buy furniture and binge TV. But sometimes I remember that gratitude helps and gratitude matters. That we can train ourselves to say thank you to the good stuff. To the stuff that is fueling the hope in our democracy. 
the better parts of the discussion, the progress that's being made to bend the arc of history towards justice, the hope that not, might not be emanating from Washington, D.C. It might be emanating from a state capital, from a city council, maybe from a nonprofit organization, maybe from a group of activists. And when I can train my brain on that, when I can focus my attention at least every once in a while on good things that good people are doing, I can get up. I cannot just go to Ikea and buy furniture and binge some oligarch's TV channel. But I can say, I can do a little bit. I can do my little bit. Each of us can do our little bit to make democracy a little bit better rather than a lot worse. I want to thank Caitlin Baggett and the Bus Project for pushing automatic voter registration in Oregon, which has now spread to so many other states. I want to say thanks to the Honest Elections crew for pushing for campaign finance reform. I want to say thanks to Mark Fronmeyer and to Sarah Wolk for pushing for star voting in an innovative way to make selections. What are you grateful for? What is something that we should be calling out other than our anger, it, legitimate anger, other than our fear, legitimate fear, other than our contempt, our sadness, legitimate contempt, legitimate, certainly legitimate sadness. What are you grateful for? This is the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith sitting in. I'll tell you someone else I'm thankful for. The Republican U.S. Senator from the state of Utah, Mitt Romney. A man who ran for president, a man for whom I did not vote. But a man who stood before, to use his words, God, and his colleagues in the U.S. Senate, and the Twitter blitzerati of the right wing, and the talk media apparatus that dominates AM and many FM airwaves around the country and in front of Fox News and in front of, yes, a watchful president of the United States eventually and said, I took an oath. I took an oath and for me, an oath matters. And that oath was to deliver impartial justice, look at the facts, and to apply those facts to the constitutional principles and law. And I know the consequence. Or at least I know there will be significant consequence that will befall me. And I have to vote to convict. I want to say thank you to Mitt Romney. For those who have criticized him as an opportunist... In this moment, what opportunity do you think he is seizing? I mean, yeah, maybe an opportunity to get talked about, but you really think he cares what I say to a bunch of fluffy-hearted liberals on this radio channel? Maybe it is a chance that if history moves quickly against Donald Trump, perhaps after John Bolton's book is released, and we see more of the depths of the fraud that was committed upon the country. Maybe he'll see that the Republican Party 
wants a chapter after Donald Trump, and he will be in a position to lead or at least be a symbol for that post-Trump Republican Party. Maybe there are silver linings in a dark cloud of political pain. But make no mistake, I believe it when Mitt Romney says he was doing this out of conscience. Because the math doesn't make much sense otherwise. John F. Kennedy was elected president. Prior to being elected president, he wrote a book. That book was Profiles in Courage. The Profiles in Courage were about U.S. senators who took courageous stands, typically standing against power to do something of principle. Often something of principle that turned out to be right in the evolving story of history. This was such a profile. It does not mean that Donald Trump is no longer the president. It does not mean that Donald Trump won't be reelected. But it does mean that there is at least one lesson, that there is at least one example in the Republican Party today of someone who is willing at that moment to take their oath seriously. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. Something else I'm grateful for? I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have the chance to speak with you. What are you grateful for? Here's Mitt Romney. Let's play that. I'm aware that there are people in my party and in my state who will strenuously disapprove of my decision. And in some quarters, I will be vehemently denounced. I'm sure to hear abuse from the president and his supporters. Does anyone seriously believe that I would consent to these consequences other than from an inescapable conviction that my oath before God demanded it of me? Is there any doubt? Can Lindsey Graham or the Drudge Report or Donald Trump Jr., any of the people who are cascading critique and insult upon this man? Can anyone truly doubt that what he wanted was that? That he thought this was going to somehow be good for Mitt Romney? That he was doing this because he wanted to make a show or for ego? Yeah, does he think his voice matters? Sure. He was the Republican nominee for president of these United States. To think about the gravity of that, imagine if Al Gore had sat in the U.S. Senate And there had been a Democratic president four years later. And John Kerry committed some crime. And Al Gore had stood up and done. Could you imagine the consequence that that would have? The feeling that would have? Now, of course, the propaganda machine of the right wing will make the consequence of this different. But it's gratitude. Thank you to Mitt Romney. Thank you to you. We'll be back. What are you grateful for? I brought my dog because the people here told me that I could, maybe even should, that they'd like to see him. And he's just been kind of wandering around. Come here, buddy. This is George Bailey. He is my puggle. He is half pug, half beagle. He is, I think it's fair to say, this man's best friend. He's a sweet boy. I spoon him pretty much every night to go to sleep. And when I come home from work, he kisses my face longer than is really appropriate. But there's a good dog. He's a good boy. And yes, he was named George Bailey before Elizabeth Warren. Well, at least before I knew what Elizabeth Warren named her dog. 
Jungle Boy. I was told I should do that. It, is it pandering? Is it pandering to show the dog? Probably pandering. For people listening on the radio, I held him up real close to the microphone so that you could, I don't know, still not see him. I also want to talk a little bit about Nancy Pelosi tearing up the speech. Let's go to Andy from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Go ahead, Andy. Gretchen Whitmer's Democratic response for uh, Mr. Trump there. I thought she did a good job, but I just wondered what you thought about it. Well, I found telling that afterwards the commentators on MSNBC, at least, were saying, well, what she had to do was really hard. Trying to follow the State of the Union in just some room is really hard. There would have been a few things, and Gretchen Whitmer seems like a neat person and took a tough assignment. I don't know that her performance vaulted her into the conversation for presidential candidate in 2024 or 2028. I guess that's what I would say about that. But what it made me think is what could be done with the response. I am generally, I don't want to fall into the trap of like criticizing folks. They're doing their best and they're, you know, they're trying to stand up for democracy. And so, you know, I I understand that. But I do think that there are opportunities that the response of the State of the Union tends to miss. One is what Chris Matthews suggests is actually making it a response. In fact, doing a fact check. If you can get the speech in advance, as Nancy Pelosi seemed to, and if you could take pictures of it and send it over to whoever's giving the response, you could get a little head start on the fact check. But you could do the fact check real time because there were folks doing fact checks real time. And you could say, for instance, the biggest lie of the speech, just have it be on pre-existing conditions. Let's be clear, when the president says that he will do nothing to protect, excuse me, do nothing to, well, he may do nothing to protect, he'll do nothing to cut Social Security or Medicare. He said the same thing about Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid during the 2016 election. He has pushed to cut, what, 1.5 million people off of Medicaid? If he says he's not going to cut your health care, he has and will. And then look at the movement and look at the energy and look at the proposals of the Republican Party to see how they want to cut Social Security and Medicare. And when he says we will never touch pre-existing conditions, his own Department of Justice, his own Confederates, and his own appointed judges are working to throw out Obamacare with nothing in its place. And notice that he didn't say he had a health plan because they don't have a health plan. Because the best health plan that Republican thinkers could come up with was, in fact, what turned into something like the Mitt Romney health plan in Massachusetts. And then turned into something like Obamacare in the United States, a private sector focused private health insurance exchange subsidized so that people who can't afford things on the exchange can get something. That was the best idea that in the 1980s and 1990s, the right wing theologians had. So they didn't have a health plan. I would have thought it would have been interesting for the response to go through what he said and actually respond to it, not just use it as an opportunity to give a speech. That was one thought. And I thought Chris Matthews was sort of about right with that. Another one, I think it would have been interesting had they done a rally. Because part of the problem is the scene. When you give the State of the Union, you have a wonderful set, right? I mean, it's just like you've got all these generals, you've got Supreme Court justices, you've got senators, you've got members of Congress. You have a chance to put in plants of three supporters that look like they might not be your supporters and your military heroes that you want to pin medals on, or maybe they're just right-wing talk show hosts. It's a great set. And if you do the response and you're just sort of in a room with a flag behind you and a microphone, it's hard to match that set. 
production value is hard to compete with. But I think you could do, I think you could plan, because you know when it's happening, I think you could do something that actually included human beings. That said, this is going to be a people's response and we're going to have people in the room. That's the second thing. A third thing, what my wife wishes they had done is just go through and say, listen, I know you've been paying attention to other stuff, and I, we know what the Republicans are going to do, and they're going to vote to, to try to let this president off the hook. But just have Adam Schiff or someone else going through and talking about why the president's unfit to serve. My fourth idea of what to do with the State of the Union is actually do a slide deck, actually do a PowerPoint presentation, or at least have visuals like Ross Perot had. So you try to capture people. I think you can use the lower production value to your advantage if you do have some visuals. Those are my take. Not to knock the good governor, but to offer thoughts for the future. You're listening to Tom Hartman. So it could be Valentine's Day. It could just be a date, you know, especially a first date. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. You glance in the mirror. You notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. Uh-oh, what do we do? Ha-ha, here's my secret weapon, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom, two minutes later, literally, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing right in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to tryplexiderm.com and enter voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter voices at triplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code voices. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter voices at triplexiderm.com. And we're back. I'm Jefferson Smith. Thanks for being with us. This is the Tom Hartman program. Tom, we'll be back. I am with you today. It's a privilege to be here. I want to hear from Jim, who's been waiting patiently, wins the Most Patient Listener Award from Denver, Colorado. How are you doing, Jim? Do you know what the definition of a Republican form of government is, specifically Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution? Court definition of Republican form of government varies a little bit. It tends to mean a representative democracy. It tends to mean a system where power is vested in the people, exercised by the people through representatives chosen by the people to whom those powers are delegated. So I think we could use that against gerrymandering and voter suppression. Related and even germane to the book he just put out, The War on Voting, uh, line drawing. We have another episode of Democracy Nerd, particularly around gerrymandering. People call it gerrymandering, but it was named after Elbridge Gerry. Yeah, I think what we're fighting for, ironically, right now, is a Republican form of government. <laughs> and what we need, I think, more Republicans to recognize, because I actually don't urge a one-party nation. I think the best growth of the middle class in this country has happened when there has been a significant majority of pro-middle class, pro-democratic party, pro-democracy voters and members of Congress, etc., to be clear. But I think we also want people who grew up Republican, maybe they changed parties, to think that democracy and a republic really matters. So that I agree with a lot. And thanks for the argument. Let's go straight to our friend Carol calling from South Carolina. I believe it's the Tolly Island or Tolly's Island in Holly. South Carolina. Hello, Carol. 
Yeah, Polly, like a dog's paw. How you doing, like your doggy's paw? He's here. How I'll you show doing, him, Jefferson? Sue. I am doing well. In fact, we're on oh. free speech. I can show him. That he's kind of sleeping. Oh, here, well, I'm, I watch free speech TV. Love free speech. Jefferson, I am so thankful. Are you ready to hear this? I am totally ready. I am an environmental activist here at the coast in South Carolina, and I am thrilled that the state of Virginia, which is also in the South, got on the blue wave. The the whole state legislature and the governor are Democrats, and they have passed groundbreaking legislation against offshore drilling. That's who we should be watching. That's how it's done. It took a lot of work, I know, to get all those ducks in a row in the state of Virginia, the great state of Virginia, but that's how you do it. Amen. Thank you so much, Carol. Appreciate it. That's a great that's a great thank you Thursday. And thank you to local activists who work on that in Virginia. Jeff from Fort Dodge, Iowa. You're on the air. Hi, Jefferson. Uh, I am thankful that the Iowa caucuses are over. Me and my wife were kind of co-precinct chairs. Thanks for doing and that. I'd like, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit maybe that people don't really think about that Iowa being first in the nation. And I think it's the thing called political fatigue. We started probably almost two years ago with television ads. I believe John Delaney was one of the first to enter the race. And, of course, we have had nothing but ads and stuff for virtually two years now. And that was just after we got done with the midterms. So in Iowa, there's virtually no what I would call a political or political ad time break. And it, I think I think our count was down. We had only 45 in our precinct. But I think there's a fatigue in Iowa that's growing because between toward the end here, the advertising, and then the phone yeah. calls from all the different candidates, it became overwhelming. Well, anybody you want to thank, Jeff, anybody you appreciate for being able to overcome the overwhelm? I mean, I thank the candidates for all coming, but I'm hopefully thankful that maybe the process will be changed so that we could get a little break. I can imagine there certainly will be a major discussion about changing the process. Thanks for your call. Tim from Aloha. Yeah, I'm real thankful that they've finally come to a realization that Rupert Murdoch and Vladimir Putin are in charge right now, that we're going to completely destroy women's reproductive rights, the environment, public education. It's all going down the tubes right now. People don't have an absolute clue what they've done by allowing that lunatic to skate all the legal procedures. He should be in jail with Cohen, and that wouldn't be good enough. And that's basically what's going on now. And now that the real social aspect of all this is how the Democrats are fighting among themselves, you know. The fact that that man is actually even running for president again, is only he's only doing it so he doesn't get prosecuted for being a civilian. So that's basically what's going on in the country. Tim, they're, taking, no us, they're taking us out of the break, but thank you so much for the call, Tim, from Aloha, Oregon. Our free Hartman Report podcast recaps the show every day. It's available wherever you find great podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith, sitting in for Tom Hartman. Tamara, I hope I pronounced that correctly, from WCPT Ain't Afraid of Me from Joplin, Missouri. Thanks for calling. 
Hi, Jefferson. Hello. I called Mitt Romney's office this morning and thanked him for his vote. And I am a Mormon, but they call me a Jack Mormon because I left the church. Sure. And I might go back to church. He kind of renewed my faith that maybe I should give them another chance because they are accepting people of color now. They are more accepting of the gays and LGBT groups. You know, they're evolving. It and is. I should say, Tamara, this isn't something I've talked about much, but my dad's side of the family is also a Mormon. My dad left the church, shared the critiques of excluding blacks and women from the priesthood. My uncle on my dad's side was apparently also a friend of Mitt Romney's. My uncle recently passed away. But my wife, my wife who grew up Catholic, and I think would describe herself as a Jack Catholic, had, <laughs> yeah. had, she, Jack she, <laughs> she said she actually said before Romney cast this vote, I think it was in the context of him discussing the vote on witnesses that she says the thing about Romney is I think he actually believes in God. Like the folks who thump on the Bible and use that as an excuse to try to tear down the environment, reward the wealthy, hurt the poor, take away health care and say that somehow in the New Testament, which it ain't. It's harder to know about their own beliefs. It's hard for me to pass judgment on them. My wife was making the case. I think this guy actually might take his oath seriously. This is before his speech. And that means that while he's not, you know, some he's not some liberal, he's not some moderate, at least he might believe that he took an oath before God, a God that he believe exi- believes exists. So I appreciate your call, Tamara. Well, even the people of Utah that are predominantly Mormon have changed. They actually like the ACA. <laughs> they like seeing that their poor are taken care of medically now and that Others of their middle class can afford medical care now. And Utah and the Mormons are are just evolving every day. And I was proud that Mitt Romney found his faith again. And we'll see with his next vote. We'll see if he votes to take food from little children's mouths and, and take health care away from people with pre-existing conditions. But even if he does, I think I'll still go back to Temple and see. Well, it turns out I, we didn't, I didn't anticipate. I don't know if he anticipated that his speech was going to be a re-recruitment effort for the LDS Church. But, you know, I appreciate your call. Lee from KPFK in Sepulveda, California. Yes. What I'm grateful for is a couple of things that people can now see how crooked the Republican Party. I'm a Republican, by the way, since the 60s. (laughs) But this Republican Party is so crooked. I mean, to have stolen the presidency in 2000 and we get two illegal wars and we're $20 trillion in debt and then to do it again in 2016. I hope now that some people will begin to listen, especially progressives, that Real Republicans are totally opposed to everything Donald Trump, and we conservatives, conservatives care about the environment. We conserve it. That's the point. Those clowns, the people on the five on the Supreme Court, they are just, they are so far from what real Republicans are. You know, we stopped 
slavery. The very, that was the, the first, point of our party. The, huh? the first environmentalist president was Republican Teddy Roosevelt. The first environmentalists were the progressives that embedded within the Republican Party at the turn of the last century. So I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, you're right. So anyhow, I'm really, really grateful. And I want to let you know and everybody else know, very soon there's going to be a Republican candidate jump out that is going to put everything in proper perspective and we'll either all come together as a nation or we won't but it will you have somebody be in mind or you just think that's divine providence oh no no the person it's going to change everything the conversation is going to be so different than from what's gone on for is that because you have a particular person in mind yes who is yes. it oh no no can't tell you but it's just the secret we'll, it's yeah, the, no, the no, secret yeah. savior is going to come into the white horse and we don't even get to know who it is well, actually, two of them. There's going to be a vice president. Okay, who's the other one? You don't have to tell me the, the first one. one. Tell me the other one. <laughs> no, no, I can't. Everybody I really wants can't. to know, man. We want to know, know who the we want to know, know who the anointed one is that's going to save American democracy. You, You're killing us here. Okay, I will tell you this. George Washington was our first president, commander in chief. He was a military person. It's going to be George Washington. He no, would totally this win. Per- this person will be just like him as regards being militarily proper and dealing with the Constitution properly, not what we have. All right, so you're saying Colin Powell's going to run for president. I don't know what you're saying. No, 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 not even Can close. I keep guessing? Uh, but you'll know. It's not in, oh, sure. Yeah, you, no, you can. Uh, All right, um, Lee, well, I pre- you, you'll know. I, you'll I appreciate know. it. When it is, and, and call us in when it is, you say, that's what I was talking about, when they uh-huh, point themselves uh-huh, out. Uh-huh. All right. Alexis from Brookline, Mass. Hi. Hello. How kind of a message of unity to give out to progressives in general in the primary? That I was, and still am, a huge fan of Warren. I'm from Massachusetts. I love her. But I have recently decided to go over to Bernie Sanders. And the reason for that is we as progressives need to start coming together with our votes because we're not going to win a place as an actual presidential candidate if we don't come together and stop tearing each other down with insults and hatred. Well, I appreciate the call to unity, Alexis, and I do think that the delta, in fact, I also think it goes even further than that. I think the delta between any of the candidates is significantly less than the delta between even, let's say, a Democratic and Republican U.S. Senate. So thanks very much for your call. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Show. What are you thankful for? Martin Stender, I'll reply to your question about a multi-party system after we've had a chance to talk to Emily Cherniak. Why don't we talk to Emily Cherniak right now and find out how badly I'm mangling the pronunciation of her last name? Emily, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am well. Am I pronouncing your Cherniak? Is it Cherniak? Yeah, which is very impressive because everyone pronounces it Chernak. So <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> You're in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I lived in Cambridge for three years. I loved it. Oh, you did? Yeah, it's great. So tell mm-hmm. us about tell us first about the New Politics, the organization for which you are the executive director. Yeah, so New Politics, we're a nonpartisan organization that aims to revitalize American democracy by recruiting, developing, and electing servant leaders who put community and country first. And we do that really by helping outstanding leaders who have served in the military or national service world run for office because we really believe that these leaders who have dedicated their lives to serving our country are the kinds of proven leaders that we need in our politics. And we think that if we need, the only way to solve big challenges that face our country is if we elect leaders who know what it means to work together and put the country first above themselves. What's the advantage? Maybe it's obvious, but if you were going to try to highlight the advantage of 
focusing on, in your term, servant leaders and your definition of people mm-hmm. who have have some, you know, done AmeriCorps, done VISTA, presumably uh, served in the Marines. Right. What's the advantage? Say more about the advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, so we believe that people who have had that service experience is that you learn how to work with others who are different from you. You build bridges. You learn how to problem solve. And you kind of learn that the framing is about mission first. So it's not about you. It's about the larger goal. And we think that those leadership skills are really lacking in the current political climate. And so we think that those leaders are the kind that we definitely need in our political life. Should we have a required year of national service? You know, I think looking at our history, we don't really do well when there's a draft or sort of a mandatory service. I think that it should be an expectation and that we should make it something that everyone just normalizes and does. Every young person should say, you know, where do I serve? And I think that would fundamentally transform our country if we had that ethos of service more broadly throughout. One of the reasons I appreciate your work is that so many of us train so much of our attention, I as well train our attention on presidential politics and whatever cable news is focused upon. On, mm-hmm. I mean, heck, just this week, uh, since the Super Bowl, we had the on Monday, we had Iowa. On Tuesday, we had the State of the Union. On Wednesday, we had the impeachment vote. But people then look, well, what should I do? I guess I'll click and give a few dollars to Elizabeth Warren or the candidate of my choice. Or maybe I'll go maybe I can go caucus in Iowa for Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders. But there are so many other ways to get involved where you might have more of a delta than you're going to have on a presidential campaign. What are some of the, so I appreciate Mm -hmm. you, what are some of the down ballot races you're paying attention to? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, we think that the, you know, important work is done not only at the congressional level, but also in the state, state legislature, city council, mayors. I mean, you yourself served in the, in the state legislature, so you understand how important, you know, the work is there. And so for us, I mean, we're really excited that we helped elect uh, Pat Ryan, who became county executive in upstate New York, uh, Pat had run for Congress last cycle, had lost the primary, and then, but really was excited to take on this role where he is now in charge of a, it's like a $300 million budget, you know, so it's a real job that he's doing at the, at this local level. Yeah. We really love David Miles, we have to elect in Rockville, Maryland for a city council at large. We have some really amazing state rep candidates, James Tallarico in Texas 52nd House District, he's a superstar. He did Teacher America, and he's been really leading the work on education in the state house. Representative Joe Tate, who you may have known from, he played football, but is an incredible state rep who is just doing a lot of cool work around bridging people together in Michigan. Matt Wilhelm in New Hampshire is leading this sort of charge around national service and trying to sort of provide access to college and a pathway to college for students who can't afford it by doing a year of service or two years of service. So. You know, these are incredible leaders, and I think for us, it is about investing in, you know, really high-quality talent and getting them into a political space that they normally are not in, and really getting them and seeing them do the work has been really incredible and inspiring. Talking to Emily Cherniak, the executive director of New Politics. The website is newpolitics.org, where you can find out more about their work, more about Emily's work, and more about these candidates. Emily, thank you so much for spending the time, and thank you for your work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. You're you. Thanks for being you. We'll be right back. Tom Hartman here. My new book, The War on Voting, it should be titled The Republican War on Voting, which is what it really is, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back, is on the verge of being out or is out in bookstores near you and online. 
Uh, it is the third in the series, the Hidden History series. The first was Guns in the Second Amendment. The second was the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. We're doing a book tour on the voting book here. Uh, Saturday, February 15th, I'll be in Los Angeles at the Sportsman's Lodge at 1 p.m. More information at kpfk.org. On Monday, February 17th, in San Francisco, at the, or in Berkeley, actually, at the Arts and Letters series, series at 7.30 p.m. On Wednesday, February 19th, I'll be in Seattle at Town Hall, 7.30 p.m. Sunday, February 23rd, in Minneapolis, the Blue State Ball at 1 p.m. Friday, the 28th of February, in Portland at Powell's on Burnside, and Sunday in Chicago on March 1st. You can check it all out at TomHartman.com. All the information is there. Here's something that happened from impeachment. We now know that Donald Trump was not removed from office. We knew that before who was really on trial in many respects, were the Republicans in the U.S. Senate, wondering if they would do as Mitt Romney did and put their oath, not only their oath of office, but their oath as jurors, more seriously than their concerns over their Republican primaries. And we learned that Mitt Romney took his oath seriously. That puts in higher relief something else. And I want to talk, if we're talking about profiles and courage, I want to talk about somebody else. That's Joe Manchin. But more importantly, Doug Jones. See, Doug Jones in Alabama, Democratic senator, also voted to remove Donald Trump from office, voted guilty on the articles of impeachment. Doug Jones, who is the first Democrat to represent Alabama in a long time. If you're asking even how I was rooting for Doug Jones to vote, boy, howdy, I'm not exactly sure how I would have answered depending on when you asked me. I said, well, what, are you asking me based on how I hope, what I think the Democrats' best chances are of winning the U.S. Senate? What would be best for overall, roughly speaking, progressive priorities? Or are you asking me a question based on principle? <laughs> because... I can remember Claire McCaskill voting not to confirm Justice Kavanaugh on voting on principle and losing her election as a U.S. senator shortly thereafter. And that mattered. And for all of us, all of us purists, remember that those votes have consequences. Now, Mitt Romney and Joe Manchin, they're not up right now. Mitt Romney doesn't have to face Republican primary for a while. He's got the chances to make speeches about blocking women's right to choose, about making, you know, casting doubt on climate change, about keeping the world safe for millionaires. He's got lots of chances. He's got chances to even be on right wing media over the next couple of years. Same with Joe Manchin. Doug Jones is up now. And Doug Jones isn't in Utah. He's in Alabama. And he's in Alabama state that Donald Trump won by a landslide, that every Republican presidential candidate ever since the Civil Rights Act was signed by Lyndon Johnson. State of Alabama, who Republicans have won by landslides in every presidential election since then. That's where Doug Jones is running, and he voted to convict. That is also a profile in courage. But let's look at some other folks. 
I keep saying that the presidential race is not the only race. In fact, the strongest argument for Joe Biden as a presidential candidate is made by, as the Democratic nominee, is made by a good friend of mine who is a die-on-the-wool liberal. And it says, Jeff, the difference between Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders and what they will do as president, there is some difference. What will matter vastly more is Congress. And we need a president who will have a big enough vote count that they can win North Carolina and they can help a Democratic candidate for the U.S. Senate beat Tom Tillis in North Carolina because it's the U.S. Senate that's going to matter. And he is not saying that because he is some corporatist schemer. He is not saying that because he wants to make sure the regulatory apparatus is kept from interfering with otherwise obvious antitrust violations. He's just sort of doing the arithmetic. There are candidates who took votes to acquit the president who we should pay attention to. I want to give some credit. This original, the understanding of what I'm about to say, I didn't quite catch. And whether we see it as conspiracy, as we, whether we see it with intent, let's say, or whether we see it just as a result. Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, his decision to, not his decision to acquit, but his decision to be up for grabs, his decision to be a question, his decision to dance, his dancing with the possibility of voting for witnesses, which suggests that he might dance with the possibility of voting to remove meant that lots of attention went on Lamar Alexander. Now, it was offered to me to say, listen, Lamar Alexander's friends with Mitch McConnell. That was probably the plan all along. And the plan all along was for him to take the, the bullets, for him to take the arrows, for him to take the attention, for him to take the heat, for him to be the one that was most prominent in that kitchen so that some others didn't have to take that heat. Well, who would be those others? Who am I talking about? Well, Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Corey Gardner of Colorado, Martha McSally of Arizona. In states where Trump might not win, where Trump is not terrifically popular, that are represented by Republicans in the U.S. Senate, and whose Republican U.S. senators now stood with him against the Constitution. And by the senator from Tennessee, Lamar Alexander, who is not running again, who is retiring to wait. Let me do a little sausage making, a little little inside look. Maybe it's obvious, but it might not be that obvious. Here's what happens. So in every legislative caucus, every legislative conference, Republican, Democrat, whatever, whether it's state legislature, whether it's state Senate, state House, U.S. House, U.S. Congress, whatever, you'll have a whip. The parties have a whip. Now, the whip's jobs do the vote count. And the leader says, hey, are we going to be able to win on this motion? Are we able to win on this bill? You got to go and whip the votes. And what whipping votes usually means is counting the votes. It doesn't, it, it, it's an unfortunate term. It does not actually mean physical, physical abuse. And very often it doesn't even mean persuasion. Very often it literally just means walking around the halls, going office to office and saying, hey, how are you on H.R. 3? Shout out to H.R. 3, by the way. The president said he would sign a bill to lower prescription drugs. Well, there is one that exists that Mitch McConnell could get to the president's desk if it wasn't for his need to have dark money from Big Pharma fuel his reelection efforts in U.S. Senate seats around the country. But I digress. The whip goes around and says, hey, 
how are you going to vote on HR3? And they count it up and they go back to the leader. They don't publish. They don't go to the newspaper with this. They go to the leader and say, hey, we don't got the votes. Well, you better keep whipping, better keep counting. And they go hall to hall, office to office, saying, hey, where are you going to be on HR3? Until finally say, hey, if we're in, you're in the Senate, we got 51. If you're trying to count the votes just for what's going to happen in a caucus, you ask in the caucus. You can do a quick straw poll sometimes when everybody's in the conference meeting. Well, usually it's the whip going off to office, sometimes by phone, maybe now even by text message, but probably not because that would become a public record. Lots of personal, quiet conversations. And what very often a whip will tell you, will tell a freshman member is when they're training them informally or otherwise, is they'll say, hey, you should, uh, it, it, there's, it behooves you to decide early. It behooves you to uh, announce where you're going to vote, make clear to everyone how you're going to vote early. You should be for H.R. 3 right away. You should be against witnesses right away. You should be against impeachment right away. How come? Don't you want people to think that you're reasonable and you're considering the facts, that you're open to persuasion? Isn't that what the definition of a moderate is? And they say, no, 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 no. Because if you hold out, if people aren't sure where you are, if you're not sure where you are, people will work to get you sure. Lobbyists will visit you. They will tell electronic hordes to communicate with you by email and phone call. Fox News or the equivalent or the nonpartisan press will ask questions. Say, ah, the holdout vote. Susan Collins, the holdout vote. Everybody look at Susan. Pay attention to Susan. If it's Cory Gardner from Colorado, U.S. Senator, who is part of Mitch McConnell's thin majority, Cory Gardner in a blue, barely shaded state. If he is holding out, if he isn't clear early, if he makes his decision after Lamar Alexander, everybody's, hey, look at Cory, look at Cory Gardner. He's up in 2020. Who here? Here is opponents. I wonder what they think. Let's ask them what they think about the impeachment of the president. Let's see what they think about witnesses. Well, 60 to 70 percent of the country, 60 to 70 percent of Cory Gardner's constituents think we ought to have witnesses. Let's see what Cory Gardner says about that. Cory Gardner, why aren't you voting for witnesses? Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll tell you. So the whip says, hey, decide early. Decide early. You won't get those questions. You'll get, you know, one story or whatever saying what your vote is. But then people move on. They'll focus their attention on Lamar Alexander. And that's what happened. Is that we focused our attention on Lamar Alexander. Well, let me say who we should be focusing attention on. And that does include Tom Tillis in North Carolina. And that does include Cory Gardner, Colorado. And it does include Susan Collins of Maine. And it does include Martha McSally of Arizona. All of them are up in 2020. All of them are Republicans in the U.S. Senate. All of them stood with the president at this important constitutional moment. Did they stand with you? We'll be back on Jeff. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. 
This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Lydia from Port Angeles, Washington. You are a member, may, perhaps you may know the Cullen family. You may have friends who are Twilighters. Go oh ahead, Lydia. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you mentioned that because yesterday I tried calling and it was busy, busy, busy when Cullen called in and you mentioned the Twilight thing because I used to live in Forks. Right. So obviously you know that's where they, um, right. you know, was to place it. And the funniest thing happened, this is totally an aside, but my mom was in um, Connecticut. She's elderly, about 10, 15 years ago, whenever the books first came out. And um, she had just gotten online to try dating and signed on to eHarmony and filled out like a free questionnaire. So she calls me up and says, Lydia, you're not going to believe it. I got a match from somebody in Forks, Washington, where I lived. And I'm like, oh, who is it? She said, his name is Edward Collins. <laughs> <laughs> and now they will live in all eternity. They will live in happiness and love for all eternity. know his name. Glistening oh in the sun. God. I will say, oh, so we did, I went to... else that I've ever heard of. I went to... I went to that's a great story. Edward Cullen and actually believed that it was a real match. That's hilarious. <laughs> I went to... I've been to Forks, and, uh-huh. and when we went, in fact, we drove. I drove past through there after my wedding, and we were in Forks, and the... And we went to a, and everything there was Twilight. Like everything was, you know, branded yeah. Twilight. We went to Crazy. a Mexican restaurant and had like vampire mm-hmm. tacos, right? I don't think yeah. they were very different from other tacos, but I'm just in this kind of humble no. Mexican restaurant and there's like Twilight posters everywhere. But I don't know if you called to talk about Twilight, Lydia. Go ahead. Yeah. Everything was Bella, this, and Edward, that. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful very much for you bringing up this subject today. Uh, First of all, it's got a flood of things coming through me. I just was going to thank Free Speech TV because I've been learning so much through this troubling time lately. And um, all kinds of different programs. I used to just mostly watch Tom Hartman, but now I've really expanded because, okay, so next I want to be thankful for Medicaid, Medicare, the VA, and Social Security because I'm at home an unpaid caregiver for my permanently disabled husband. And, um, you know, we wouldn't survive without them. But And then my background, is, I have a degree in biology pause and environmental moment. studies. Pause for a moment, if you, if you don't mind. You said VA, mm-hmm. uh, disabled mm-hmm. uh, through military service? Well, his hearing was affected, and actually he's 63 years old now and been disabled for 12 years or something from other physical ailments, but he just decided finally to go ask for help from the VA. I had to talk him into it because he felt badly guilty that he didn't actually go to Vietnam. He came in 
he volunteered right at the end of the war and his older brothers had to go there and fight and he just did two years active and then four years in the reserves yeah. so he didn't really feel like he deserved help he would let other people who actually uh, let, had let him know injuries. let him know that a health care system we're about to go to break but let him know that a health care system that takes care of people it's, yeah. it's okay to take advantage of that in fact i wish vastly more americans could take advantage of that lydia from yeah. port angeles say hi to the cullens We'll be back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jefferson Smith. Let's go straight to Matthew from Bothell, Washington. How you doing? Well, I just wanted to, first of all, thank you for bringing this up. I'm thankful for the air in my lungs, the ground under my feet, and the force that beats my heart. I'm extremely grateful for all the people that are able to keep their head up right now through these troubling times. It's important for us to, I think, realize that we're all in this together. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, or what. We're all human beings, and we're all in this together. And if we don't stand up now, what's it going to be like for our kids' kids, you know? At some point, we we need to keep a clear eye focused on what really matters, and that is if they divide us, they will conquer us. And we, no matter what we believe, we have to find the commonalities that we all share that hold us together, because that's the glue of uh, human existence. I and appreciate you, Matthew. I agree with you. Yeah, and I, I just keep the faith. You oh, know, yeah. for every time something's put into a, uh, a trying situation, it tends to evolve. That's just the way it works. So that's my only... That's great. That's the only thing I could come That's up great, with Matthew. You finished strong. It was great. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Let's go to Lou from Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I am well. I have also had family. I'm not going to do this with every darn town. I've also had family that lived in Pueblo. But anyway, go on. Okay. Well, I was just going to call in and kind of raise a, a good uh, note on all this stuff. Like, it seems like the world is ending. But, uh, Back in the 1960s, apartheid was so entrenched in the South that we even had segregated walls, and we had KKK used to hold rallies during the daytime. They're more common than country fairs. You know, and uh, today, the fascism's still there, but they've, it's much less obvious because a larger part of the, of the population has abandoned uh, racism. Uh, last year, I took a friend on a family float trip, and there were four or uh, five old white men that all have been retired from jobs with great pensions and pay. Yeah. And they universally, they were replaced by women or minorities or whatever. Well, they cut the pay and they cut the benefits. One of the reasons we're seeing a decrease in the standard of living is as these old white guys retired, they cut it. Down. But at least we got minorities in there, you know, and, uh, and then as as a kid, one of my chores as a little kid was I had to wipe the ash off my father's car. And everybody in my neighborhood, 80% had bronchitis. Since the oh, you had, EPA, to, wipe the, you have, you had have, to wipe the cigarette ash? No, no, fly ash from the power plant. Fly ash from the power plant, all right. And everybody had bronchitis, and it was really, really common. Today, bronchitis is rare. You know, and the air is that much cleaner. You know, and, and while... The hero of the fascist party has rolled back a lot of EPA regulations. 
there's a lot of companies that are just ignoring him and they're going ahead and doing it yeah. right. But the but the but the point that you make and I appreciate I appreciate the call, Lou. The uh, the point you make of being grateful for the progress we've made in the last 60 years. Uh, that despite the retrograde movement on wealth disparities, d- despite our failure to do nearly enough to preserve the environment and to address climate change, think about how much has happened. Think how much how much activism has done to improve the world. And uh, and with that, I want to go to Beth listening in on KPFK Great Station in Ojai, California. Yes. Hi, Jefferson. Hello. Um, I'm Beth. And I'm an environmental activist, too. Um, And uh, you had someone on that was talking about offshore oil. I wrote the National Ocean Protection Act in my kitchen. Nice work. Almost unanimously. Well, they say that the environmental activist place is in the kitchen. The uh, I, I don't think that's what they say, but that is amazing. Why did you write it in your kitchen? Um, well, that's that's where I was at home. <laughs> that's writing, where you had to do it. <laughs> by writing. But tell us, how did you get engaged with that, Beth? That's fascinating. Well, here's how I did it. I lobbied in Washington several times, and one time I lobbied about offshore oil, and it was for California. And I lobbied this lady from Kansas, the senator, and she said, well, why should I vote for, for your bill? We don't have an ocean in Kansas. And I said, oh, you're so right. And so then the next year, because I'm perseverance, I went back and the title of my brochure was Save the Kansas Coast. And then there was a photograph and it said, actually, the photograph you see is in Mendocino County, but we believe it belongs to all Americans. And then inside the brochure, I put North Dakota, and then I put, well, maybe there's not an ocean in North Dakota, but people do come to California. You know, I may, and then I just listed a bunch of different. The, the, Men- the Mendocino County coast is also the Kansas's coast. Yes, it belongs to it's all. It's brilliant. Americans. It's brilliant. So, what would be Beth? No, what would you say? Another thing that I'm doing from that. From that experience, Beth, what would you say is your greatest takeaway, your greatest lesson, the greatest thing that might either inform or inspire someone else who wants to take up some activism? Uh, Well, I would say do it now, because right now I have an even bigger action that I'm doing um, with with the Senate and the House, and um, it's it. We need to bring everyone together, and so I think that we should just focus on bringing them together because I think we're already all together. Well, Beth, I appreciate it. I I think I hear your dog in the background. I'm grateful to you. You're probably also grateful to your dog. I'm grateful to mine. He's lying down right here. He sleeps a lot. He just sleeps. He sleeps a lot. I'm not usually with him every day. I was given the grace of letting him come today, and now I get to just watch how much he sleeps. Thanks, everybody here for waking up and being awake. I'll be back with you in just a moment. I'm Jefferson Smith. Honored to be with you. Thank you so much for that. I want to go straight to Joy, who has been waiting. What a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. Hello, Joy. Hi. Hi, Jefferson. Thank you. And I am grateful for uh, the waking up of people. More than 30 years ago when I chose to become vegan, that word was not in our lexicon. Hardly anybody knew what it was. 
And now, 30-some-odd years later, people know. You can go into a restaurant. You can go anywhere. People know. So And now they know. Are, and enjoy that's absolutely right. Now they know, and thank you to you. And just like I feel thankful to every bike rider, every walker, every public transit user, and every non-meat eater, you're making the environment better for the rest of us. And I'm also grateful you don't always make us feel guilty for not being as virtuous as you, but you are doing better than other people. Nicholas from San Cristobal, Mexico. Hello. First of all, shout out to your wonderful dad for bringing us you. Oh, and the sweet. terrific job you've been doing for Tom and Louise while they've been away and on that much-deserved vacation. I have two quick things to say, and then I have a serious bone to pick with you, sir. All right. Don't freak out. I'm ready. First of all, a shout out to everybody on this planet who helps abandoned, unwanted animals. I rescue street dogs right off the street here in Mexico. I currently have seven, which is a quite a, it's a lot of work and expense. People have got to help. All these lives are precious. People don't get to just abandon animals when they're tired of them and leave it to everyone else to care for. Secondly, a shout-out to all people center and left of center, hopefully all the way to the left of the spectrum. I fell off the left part of the spectrum back in the 60s in Berkeley. A shout-out to everyone who's holding the line, the blue line, the Maginot line against the Nazis at this point who want to take us over. And uh, I know that people's hair gets set on fire when I say something like vote blue no matter who. I get it, I get it, I get it. But we have got to take this stain on America out of our existence that is Donald J. Trump. And the bone I have to pick with you, if you'll listen for just a minute. Sure is that you were sort of down on people the last few days who were saying they really were thinking about leaving the country and expatriating. I expatriated here to southern Mexico 17 years ago, and I have never been as politically active as I am now. I helped to moderate in the YouTube chat room. I call my senators and representatives three times a week. Calls from Mexico are free, so I call and annoy them as often as I can. I stay as active as I can throughout the Internet and various chat rooms, spreading the news about Bernie, who I'm rabidly for, of course. But Blue is going to have to do, even if we hate the candidate we get. I don't want Biden any more than any other progressives do. But if it comes down to that, and I hope to God it does not, then we have simply got to do our best on behalf of our country, and that is taking out Trump not running to a third-party ego vote just to make yourself feel better, and worse yet, not sitting out the election altogether just to cut your nose off to spite your face, but worse, our country's face. Thank you, Jefferson, for listening to my rant. Nicholas, thank you so much, and thanks for being present and engaged even in your expat status, or maybe especially given it. Thank you so much. I, I have helped to get more than 100 Democrats through Democrats abroad registered here voting. And they See, that, no that, they to could. me, that suggests you haven't really left, right? You get to sleep somewhere no. else, right? But in some ways, well, you haven't really left, which I appreciate. There's no, there's no away anymore, Jefferson. Right, that's fair. World. We're all connected now. That's fair. And, and to be clear... 
my bigger point, I need to come up with a catchier phrase. I haven't come up with that yet. Yeah. My bigger point is don't move away. My bigger point is when frustrated, when angry, when crestfallen, instead of retreating to the, I'm getting out of here, instead retreat to the, I'm going to moderate the YouTube channel for the Tom Harbin Show. <laughs> instead, I don't know how much help it does, but yeah, don't discourage people from going for a better life. A lot of people can't afford it. I hear your point. I hear your point. Thank you so much, Nicholas. We Love appreciate you, you. Keep up the good work. Listen to Tom's show. I'm Jefferson. And your show. I want to say thanks so much to all of our listeners. It is such an honor to do this. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. Without you, democracy doesn't have that much of a chance. With you, we got a chance. You are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Thanks, everybody. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.